Adam, and we had the opportunity to speak with Charles Spearin of the band's Do Make Say Think and Broken Social Scene over Zoom video. Charles was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and he talks about how he got into music. He actually was able to kind of cruise around the city. He grew up in the city of Toronto, so he talks about going to the different punk clubs and music clubs around town prior to even being of age. So he knew where to go when he started a band and started playing. He would drop off his cassette tapes to these different venues and ended up playing locally quite a bit. He talked about the success of Do Make Say Think, eventually the major success of Broken Social Scene, and putting out his solo records. He put out his first solo record, The Happiness Project, which ended up scoring him a Juno Award. We talked a lot about that. We talked about the record he put out right before the pandemic, which is called Thank God the Plague is Over, which is... uh, an interesting <laughs> title due to what happened right after that. Um, but the the backstory to that record is incredible. He talks to us all about that. And the concept behind his new album, which is called My City of Starlings. He was in a songwriting club where they would write and upload a new song every day during the pandemic for, I think, a couple weeks a week at a time. But he talks all about that and how it eventually led into this new record, My City of Starlings. You can watch our interview with Charles on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Charles Spearin. This podcast is about you, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record that you just released as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Awesome. So first off, tell me where you were born and raised in Toronto. Is that true or no? Yeah, I was born and raised downtown Toronto. Yeah. What was it like growing up in Toronto? Uh, Let's see. Um, It was great. I mean, uh, the city's obviously changed an awful lot. Like I'm, I'm 49 years old, born in 72. So growing up in the 70s and 80s in downtown Toronto, uh, it was a, a kind of a different experience. There was no, um, I don't know, it was a bit of like the the child rearing at the time was more of like free range. Like the kids mm-hmm. would just wander the streets and, and you know, be home when the streetlights are on. And it was, sure. uh, it was, I don't know, I got the sense that I, I owned the city after a while. And it was really fun. Like my parents used to give me subway tickets just to go and explore the city. That is so as a, awesome. As a kid. Like that I would just go and, awesome. as long as I had a quarter in my pocket to call home in case of emergencies, uh, I would just, you know, get on the subway, get off at some random stop and then walk around with my sister or a friend or something like that and explore the city, uh, which, you know, nowadays would be considered kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Like child this, abuse. Like, can you believe yeah, this guy was able to just run around the city? <laughs> I mean, especially when you consider that like in the seventies and eighties, the crime rates in the cities were way higher than it is now. Like it's, it's just, I don't <laughs> I know, but there's about something it, about, <laughs> but something about it made, gave me like the confidence to be, you know, at home in my city and feel like it's my city. So I appreciate that. That's uh, awesome. That through. is really cool to kind of have that freedom to go out and, and, Especially in a big city. I mean, I grew up in San Diego where we didn't really, you had downtown, but we were about 20 minutes outside of it in the suburbs. And I, then I moved to San Francisco a little later in my life. And it's like, I just see the kids that grew up in the city and it's just like such a different lifestyle. (laughs) Being able to access everything, get on the subway, get on the 
BART and yeah. just kind of explore. I think that's so cool to have that, that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, as soon as I turned 16, I started a band and I already knew where all the clubs were. So I drop off cassettes of my, my band, the dead lemmings. And we would just, we started playing shows all the time. It was really, oh, wow. it was just sort of a natural extension because I, I was not intimidated by any of the downtown stuff. So that's cool. Uh, it was, so yeah, were you really attending fun. shows obviously before you were 16? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I knew where all the places uh, were that wouldn't ask you for ID. Um, <laughs> like uh, there was a whole bunch of clubs in different regions in the city. Uh, they, all the kids knew they didn't ask for ID. So you could go and order a couple of beers and watch some punk shows or whatever. And, awesome. and nobody would ask questions. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, how did you get into music originally? Um, originally, I just uh, I you know, picked up a guitar in grade seven. Some friends uh, wanted to start a band and I'm like, OK, I'll play bass. And then I didn't end up getting a bass because they didn't have one at the garage sale I was going to. So I got this cheap old electric guitar and then just started playing and playing and playing. And then I took guitar lessons for a little while. But for the most part, I just learned from my friend. We would play together. And then we would show each other stuff. And then, you know, mostly I learned on stage, playing in front of people, making up songs. And uh, that's really my education. It's just playing a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. So you just it went straight into kind of jamming. Well, didn't you attend an art school or, or am I getting myself? confused? I, I did not. No. Oh. Um, well, I, I went to uh, not. Not specifically. I did. I did do an engineer, uh, music engineering school for a year. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, that was that was helpful. I met a lot of good people. The school itself wasn't so great, but the people I met were terrific. And you know, sometimes that's what school is about. It's about meeting the right people at the right time. So, mm -hmm. um, so that was helpful in terms of like just making new friends. Um, was that later down the line in life, or like how old? Yeah, well, was when I was about. That was when I was 25 or something. Oh, like okay. So, yeah. so I'm, I, yeah. So when you were adolescent years and growing up through middle school, high school, you were just playing yeah. on your own with your friends and dropping tapes yeah. off and doing that whole grind. Exactly. Yeah. No, I didn't go to music school or art school or anything like that until much later. Okay. Wow. What was it like? Um, you know, when, when, when did you start kind of getting to the next, next level in your, in your career in music? Like, you're playing these clubs and you started these bands. When was yeah. the next kind of step? I was, it was, um, well, with my band do make say think, um, mm -hmm. we, we would play shows, you know, it was a, a common thing to just start a band and start playing shows. And then all of your friends would show up mm -hmm. and it would be like all your, all your buddies. And so you look out at the audience and you basically know everybody there. Um, but then uh, I remember a couple of shows with Do Make Say Think, and there was all these people in there that I didn't know. And I'm like, who are these people? And what are they doing here? It's like, oh, they're here to see the band. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, actually, <laughs> like, they're not just friends hanging out. And then sure. that started to grow. And then we, you know, we played a show at uh, this um, uh, movie theater with projections behind us. And it was like an 800 seat theater. And it wow. was full. It was sold out. And we were like, whoa, this is like for real. We're a band now. It was really a, a kind of a fun, exhilarating moment of like mm -hmm. knowing that you had reached out beyond your peers and found an, an audience outside. And the other the other great thing about that whole time was that we never um, we never really had to work for our shows. Like we booked one show and then we would get invited to do a different one and then invited to do a different one. So 
for about a year, we were playing every week just by word of mouth invitations and we were loving it and it felt very natural and there was none of the hustle involved of like trying to, trying to promote your band. It was just, we could just focus on playing the music and doing what we wanted to do. And then we would get, you know, invited into these cool spaces. So it was, it was a nice beginning. That is, yeah, that is, that's amazing. Especially 800 seater. You have the just off word of mouth. I mean, it's not like the internet was out there and you had like this viral success. I mean, it had (laughs) to be that way. Flyering I'm sure was a big thing. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) no, we were just lucky. It was really word of mouth spread. And then broken social scene kind of came on the scene a few years later. Mm -hmm. And then that really, uh, exploded very quickly i was totally surprised like we put out uh, uh you forgot it in people mm-hmm. and then we had this show booked at this little club sneaky d's and like they were turning away people all night long like it was just way way too many people were piling up to the door and we're like oh this is for real this is cool and then shortly after that uh band went down to uh coachella and we were kind of the darling band in coachella that year and so things really took off quickly after you forgot it and people came out and we were mm-hmm. touring touring all over the place. And Do Make Say Think was touring as well. We were invited to to travel with Godspeed You Black Emperor. We went across Canada and then to Europe uh, and did a bunch of our own tours. So basically everything got real really quickly. And we spent I spent most of my life on the road after, you know, when I was 26 or 27. It was just always touring and writing and recording. Was that hard to kind of jump into? I mean, I would imagine playing local shows and then it's like everything kind of explodes and now you're going across the, you know, you're going down to Coachella and you're touring across the country and and doing all these big things. Was it, were you kind of like, whoa, like, you know, how did you take that all in? It was a bit of a learning curve in terms of like uh, social space. Like you love your friends, but it's a different thing to love your friends and be stuck in a van with them, you know, for eight hours a day, going to the next club and then working and staying up super late, playing a show, packing up all your own gear, loading it back into the van, driving for a couple hours to find a hotel and then sleeping for four hours. Like, like this, that the intensity of the early touring was, was pretty remarkable. And, uh, uh, we kind of, you know, you, at the beginning, you feel like it's, it's a great adventure and it's all going to be incredible, but, you quickly learn everybody's idiosyncrasies and the space that they need. And it's a, it's a a challenge. Um, It's a challenge, like a personal challenge uh, in a lot of ways. So it was, um, yeah, no, it it was definitely a a learning experience, Mm -hmm. but we all kind of stuck through it and we knew when to take breaks and we knew how to keep going. And we're, you know, both do make say think and broken social scene are still bands after all these years. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, and they're not small bands. It's not like there's a right. three-member group. So right. I would imagine touring with both of those bands would be a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. When, you're <laughs> when you're touring with large groups of people, you know, the odds increase exponentially that two people in the group are not going to get along. Like, mm-hmm. you, you don't know which two, but like, there's going to be some friction in there no matter what. Um, like, if it's a small group, you all sort of find your dynamic. But the bigger the group, Uh, the more likely there's conflict in there. So we've had to like sort of surf a lot of these like sort of personal challenges and stuff, but we've learned it and we know when to take breaks and keep space. And we all still love playing music together. So it's, uh, it's still going. And what did you, I would imagine you have to take two vans to these events. Like, how do you, how do you tour with that many members? 
Well, with um, with Broken Social Scene, we uh, graduated to buses pretty quick. Oh, like, okay, that's nice. Like, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that way it's a lot, it's such a difference. Like you get in, get into your bunk after the show or whatever, you go onto the bus after the show and everybody kind of like still got energy and excitement from playing. So we stay up and laugh and talk and play euchre and like have drinks and stuff. And then you can just fall asleep in your bunk anytime you want and then wake up in the next city and you have no idea what the day will bring. It's really kind of a, a fun way to, to live. Sure. Wow. And in 20 or 2009 is you put out a solo record, the happiness project, which did I did. Really well, won you a Juno award. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty impressive. I mean, itself, but how did you have time? I mean, I would imagine with do make, say, think, and then the broken social thing, scene, like to find time to write a record as a solo artist. Tell me about that. Well, that was, uh, 2007 was when I did most of the writing and recording for that. And that okay. was when um, the broken social scene put out uh, presents records, like presents Kevin Drew and presents mm. Brendan Canning. So okay. they were touring their records and I wasn't part of that. I had young children at the time. Like I had, I had uh, okay. little babies. So I, I opted out of those tours and stayed home. And dad, uh, dad stuff. Think, That's cool. Yeah, and I think I could go and do some writing with um, Do Makes. I'm not sure if we were did much touring, but there was a year where basically I had some time to myself. So I just, uh, I, I don't know, I spent a lot of time on my front porch with my kids that time and getting to know my neighbors. When you have kids, you really get to know all your neighbors quickly. Oh, I've got to. Um, I, I, I get that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that, that album was really basically a collaboration with me and my neighbors. It's funny, like just I interviewed them about happiness and asked them, uh, asked them what, the, what it meant to them. And then I sort of studied the cadence of their speech and played that on different instruments. And that's, it kind of became a bit of a jazz uh, experiment, I guess, at least it was accepted in the jazz world. I'm not really a jazz musician, but that album, it won a the contemporary yeah, jazz Juno. And I was yeah. Yeah, quite surprised at the category, <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time I welcomed it. But it was, yeah, that was the year that I had of um, sort of following my own muses essentially. Sure. And I'm, I would imagine a pretty validating moment for you to, to Juno Awards is, I mean, equivalent to obviously like a Grammy in Canada. I mean, it's the biggest thing you could win. I mean, that must yeah. have been super validating. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was hilarious. I mean, I, I, I don't know. A Broken Social Scene had won a Juno before as the band. Um, and, uh, I, you know, in the early days, I was all kind of like kind of punk rock and thinking that the Juno Awards were like, you know, the establishment. It's all about the music industry <laughs> when I'm more about the community. So I kind of like snubbed my nose at the Junos the first couple of times. And then I started, you know, I don't know. It's a, when, when you get patted on the back like that, it's kind of hard to be. Uh, punk rock about it and <laughs> right right but I, and also the longer the longer i've been in the music industry the more i've seen it change and it's it's i don't know there's a lot of good people involved in the music industry so i don't have the same disdain for the junos that i did uh, early on mm -hmm. that's good that's good yeah. yeah i mean it reminds me of the time like arcade fire won the grammy for like album of the year and people are like who like People that who's didn't that? know. Who, yeah. Who's that? Like the mass <laughs> amounts of people didn't have any clue who Arcade yeah. Fire was. And they won the biggest award at the show. Yeah. That, was really, <laughs> that was thrilling for, you know, all, all of us, like, yeah, we're friends with them and like their, 
you know, to, to win a big American award, that's a whole different ballgame than winning a big Canadian award. <laughs> but still, I mean, like Juno is huge. Juno's a Juno. Yeah. Um, well, you put out a record right before the pandemic called Thank God the Plague is Over. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of... <laughs> I think we're uh, responsible for it or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about that record before we get into this new one that you have. Sure, sure. That was um I was uh I'm I'm longtime friends with uh, Leslie Feist. I toured with her band for the mm-hmm. uh the Metals album and we toured together for a long time and she and that she's huge uh pod or was it the iPod, not iPod. Was it? Was it iPod? Yeah, she the, was, yeah, it was the early iPod, iPod commercial. commercial that just yeah. blew up. Yeah, and she's like become super famous, especially in Europe. Like she, we were playing in in stadiums in Paris and stuff like that. That's like cool. she's she's really quite uh, quite popular, and and she's a dear friend. So we we um, hang out regularly, and she invited me to this sort of songwriters group in uh, Italy. Uh, so it was through Damien Rice, who sort of put together this collection of really incredible people uh, from around the world, like uh, um, Adrian Lenker from Big Thief. And uh, uh, I, I don't want to name drop too much. Mm-hmm. Like it sure, was just no. a really, uh, like a really cool group of, uh, of really, you know, big hearted, um, real musicians. And we all stayed at this castle in northern Italy together. Wow. Um, which was also an organic farm. And just like it was so idyllic. It was ridiculous. Like it was just the nicest people in the most beautiful setting. Um, and I met uh, a violinist there uh, named Josephine Runstein. And we we had never met before. I brought a, a nickel harpa, which is like a Swedish medieval instrument that I've been playing for a while. Just to... Mm-hmm. Uh, something I picked up along the way. Um, <laughs> and, and we went to this little chapel to sort of test the acoustics of the place. And we both picked up our instruments and just started improvising. And it was like fireworks were going off in our heads. Like it was, it was so exciting. Like the way we played off each other was really thrilling. The sound of the little church was amazing. Like this church itself is probably the most incredible part of it because it's this teeny, teeny, tiny little chapel in the mountains of Northern Italy. And all over the walls is graffiti from people who were uh, basically losing their family members to the plague. And so there were all these like, you know, begging pleas to God to help save them from the plague because 90% of the population was killed by the plague in that area. So there was only like a handful of people left and they were all like writing on the walls of the church asking for help. And then there's this great big red X painted on top with little dog ears at the top of the X. And uh, they had an archaeologist come in to determine what it meant. And apparently it was like a, um, a thank you. It's like it basically what it meant was, thank God the plague is over. Thank you for saving us from this you know, disaster or this horrific situation. So that X was right in front of our faces as we're improvising. So we're playing our violin and nickel harpa together and listening to the echoing sounds of the room. So we recorded all of the improvisations over the week. We went back every day and kept improvising for 20 minutes a day or so. Uh, And then we just collected our favorite moments and released it. Um, So it was just a way of kind of uh, 
I don't know. It was such a special moment. We wanted to be able to share it with, with uh-huh. the world. If anybody wants to find it, there it is. But it was That's... just funny that then several months later, another plague took over the world and we couldn't sit. <laughs> couldn't, right. tour. couldn't tour or do anything. Well, so yeah. you just what set up, you'd record in this, like a lot, like live in this big chat or not big, but you said small yeah. chapel. Yeah. We just set up a microphone and, and then improvised every day. So it was, uh, it was all spontaneous completely. So it was, uh, I don't know, it's not quite an energy in that room. Yeah. With all the, just have the, with the people in there pleading. And I, I would imagine it would, ha- it would have to have some real oh, strong energy in there. It was super intense, like really, uh, really powerful space. And it was a really special experience. Uh, the music itself is very removed from anything I've ever done. Like I'm not a classical musician, uh, uh, most of you know everything i've done has been like post rock or indie rock or all that kind of stuff um so this was nickel harpa and violin um really really enjoyed playing like i like so much just this the sense of josephine and i just listening so intently to each other's playing and responding and and uh, there was a real um connection between us for the music so that was a a real a real joy um and it's something that i'll I can't imagine doing ever again. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing it that it was all improvised. Wow. I, now I have to go back and listen to it with that mindset, knowing that it was just you guys vibing off each other. Yeah, that's really what it was. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, and with this new record, similar as far as recording, didn't you get friends involved and recorded a song like a, a day or yeah. So the, the new record, my cities of Starling, tell me about this. And this all happened over COVID. You were recording it during the pandemic. A lot of it did. Some of the okay. songs are, are older. Uh, some of them have been around for a long time, like sort of haunting my hard drive. Uh, and I would keep, keep tweaking them and overthinking them. Um, but then I, I, with, with a handful of the people from the castle retreat uh, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people, uh, we started this sort of online song a day club where, oh, cool. where everybody had to write and record a song every day for a week. And if you didn't, like, if you like, I don't know, if you got stuck, uh-huh. then you were sort of kicked out of the group. <laughs> really? So, yeah. It was, <laughs> so it was like the whole point Very of it was cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the friendliest way. Because the idea is, the idea is just to get over yourself. Like everything right. is yes. Just don't don't overthink anything. Don't judge yourself too harshly. Just play some music and and put it in. And so that was that was the source for most of the songs on this record. I think nine of the thirteen songs were from my song at Hay Club, where I basically just had to not. Like it's a weird sort of difference between self expression and self discovery. I think mm-hmm. if you're working on if you're working on a song for a long time then you're trying to say something. But when you have a day to write and record a song, um, then it's more like, oh, like you're learning about yourself. It's like, oh, why did I do that? What was what that? I guess that's what I'm thinking about now. It's, so it's more like a, a mirror than, um, um, I don't know, a stage in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that. I love this idea that we can, we can, the, the, the group of us could all just write and record a song a day and then we get to listen to each other's music and we would all send emails to each other complimenting each other and encouraging each other it's a very healthy group of friends um so so that was so that, that was, was seven important. days for a week or did you just keep going until 
everyone <laughs> kind of got stuck. We we did seven <laughs> days. Yeah, we did seven days, but we did it a few times. So it was uh, oh, there okay. were there were a few sessions, um, and uh, of course I did go back and tweak them a little bit afterwards and added some more instruments. But the the initial idea, the you know the inspiration was all done very spontaneously. Wow. So you said nine of the songs that are on the record all came from that? Yeah. Yeah. So you would what you'd sit down talk to me about this process. So you sit down, write a whole song throughout the whole day and you would what submit it at, at when you're finished at night. And then the next yeah. what day you guys would have notes for each other or essentially well, the notes weren't the notes were uh, volunteer, but basically, yeah, I would sit down and I would open up my uh, pro tools or I have a, a eight track reel to reel here that I use sometimes as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I would just pick up an instrument and start noodling around and record and, until I found something that I liked the sound of. And then I would record it and then pick up a different instrument and add to it, pick up a different instrument. Sometimes I would start with uh, a chord progression. There's a few songs with lyrics, which is really not uh, something I normally do, but it was, it was fun uh, to try and get over that self-consciousness because I've never been much of a lyricist, mostly out of, uh, I don't know, um, self-doubt um mm -hmm. there's also there's a lot of great writers out there you don't we don't necessarily need more people spouting mediocre lyrics so <laughs> so i was i'm always a little shy about that but then uh, that was a good project for me to write some songs with words mm -hmm. um but yeah and then i would i would spend pretty much the whole day in the garage here um tweaking and adding and subtracting and then whenever i went to bed basically it was done <laughs> it's like whether whether i was happy with it or not it was done and then i would send it in and then the next morning we would have an inbox with everybody's tune and then i'd listen to them go for a walk and listen to them you know it was and there's a lot of great music that came from it as well so it was uh, it was a, a joy on two levels one thing to just get over myself and write music and the other to hear everybody else's sketches uh, mm -hmm. felt very um, uh, felt like a real privilege to be able to hear them. Did hearing other people, other people in your group songs inspire you to like throughout the, the week? Like, do you feel like hearing something from somebody else? You're like, oh, that gives me a, an idea and then go and kind of work on that piece. Yeah. Of heard. Well, certainly um, the caliber of music that was being presented was really incredible. So. Uh, it wasn't so much um, inspired by ideas, but inspired by um, just, uh, there, I guess there's some sort of friendly competitiveness. It's right, like, yeah, it's you're like, oh competing against everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a, in a very you know friendly way. Like, it's just such really good music coming from these people. And, and you know that they just did it in a day. So I'm like, okay, let's see what I can do today. What? And, and I just push myself and push myself and... Uh, uh, but at the same time, without, without having time to second guess and doubt myself. Mm -hmm. How many people started and how many people finished the weeks? Do you remember? Uh, well, there, there was different, um, sometimes it was up to like 30 people. Wow. Uh, and you know, by the end there might be 20 people. Um, but then so the last quite a couple few people finished, right? I mean, yeah, that's a lot yeah. of songs. Yeah. I mean, the definition of a song was whatever Loose. you wanted. <laughs> okay. Like 
there were there was a couple times when I handed in things just because I was exhausted or whatever, which were barely songs. Like they were super minimal, but they just had a nice quality to them. Like one time, I couldn't get to my garage because there was a skunk in the backyard. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like a Toronto problem that doesn't happen very often, but there was sure. like a skunk just. And I have a dog, so if I open the door, the dog would go out and get sprayed by the skunk. Right, so yeah, no. I couldn't get I couldn't get to my studio. So I just did a little noodling on the piano and sent that in as my song as, a, as like a voicemail, uh, okay. sort of like a voice memo. And, uh, you know, everything is acceptable. One time I just recorded the clock bonging. Um, <laughs> That's so. cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And then at the end you had, obviously we had 14 songs and some yeah. still on your hard drive and you just kind of sifted through and figured out what you wanted to yeah, put they, on the record. Yeah, in a way... In a way, they became like the starter canvases. So after that, I would go back and, you know, add and subtract a little bit more and tweak them. It was almost like having a um, a garage full of canvases. That's my art studio. And every day I'd be in like, uh, okay, I've got yellow. What painting needs yellow? So mm -hmm. I just sort of scroll through all the different songs and try and add a little bit of this to that and this to that. And then after a while, I realized I was starting to overthink it again. And I was like, okay, I just need to let this go and release it so wow uh, finally what a cool process what a, what yeah. a incredible process and i'm you know obviously i've never heard of anyone doing that in that, that club and it's it's just so it's brilliant it, it's great and i recommend it to any any group of songwriter friends because it's uh, friendly and encouraging and you get to hear a lot of um new music and it's especially when you're sort of holed up in your house, like we've, we've all been for the, mm -hmm. the last year and a half, two years, whatever, of, uh, being feeling a little bit trapped. I've been in like a bunch of clubs. That's kind of what I've been doing, I like dealing with it. Like I have a little poetry writing club. I have a cool. book club. I have, you know, that's how I stay social, even though I'm isolated most of the time. Sure. Wow. Is this something you think you'll continue? Another, like even post- this whole virus pandemic continuing with maybe a song challenge or something, a monthly thing. We'll see. I don't think it'll be that frequent because suddenly everybody's busy again. Oh, true. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I hope it happens again in the future. I'm always, I'm always ready for it. That's cool. Do you have anything uh, like as far as touring goes on the schedule with, with either broken social scene or solo stuff, how, how are you sitting now with, everything that's kind of opening up uh it's, it's still our calendar is still pretty empty um okay. we have broken social scene has one show on the calendar in december in toronto uh at massey hall which is a really nice theater that's reopening um but at the same time we don't really know if it's going to happen <laughs> right right um, I mean, with everything else kind of this yeah. delta thing and yeah everything else is happening yeah um so so we'll see. It's still, uh, you know, we're still in, in uh, pandemic land, really. Right. So we'll right. see what happens. Have you had a chance to play it all yet? In, in live? Uh, no, I haven't. I've been to a couple shows. There's a few uh, jazz uh, shows that I've been to that have been like outdoor, mm -hmm. um, like patio things. And that's been really great. Um, but and then this weekend, there's the Wavelength Music Festival, which is a really cool festival in Toronto. And they're they're it's a big outdoor festival. So I'm going to go to that. Um, 
it's exciting to sort of start to feel normal again. Right. Uh, yeah. We have Bonnaroo here in Tennessee this coming weekend and I'm excited, but I'm kind of like, this is going to be crazy to see <laughs> that many people <laughs> in one space. You know, it's just, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm really excited though. That's cool. Yeah. that There's a festival that you're, you're going to as well this weekend. Yeah. Well, it's nothing like Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo is a pretty wild festival. I've played a couple of <laughs> times. I love it. Oh, really? But, yeah, yeah. We, I've never been, so I'm excited. I've been to Coachella a lot, but I've never been yeah. to Bonnaroo. So I'm excited yeah. to, to see how it all kind of comes together here in Tennessee, but very exciting. Um, nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charles, for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks have, for uh, having me on your show. Of course. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring artists? uh start a music club but <laughs> like just there's i think the, the best thing you can do is find ways to uh get over get over your self-doubt and get over your ego and just release music like play music get out there be be involved don't worry about being bad like just you know i mean that's how i learned to play music was in front of people um so just do it really 